0: Welcome to the Global Tech Leaders podcast, where we help business leaders and individual contributors with actionable insights to hit their number and figure out the nuances of truly operating a business globally today, squeezing the essence of the lessons learned from the planet's top tech leaders. This is your guide to joining the fast track to global market scaling.
1: So on today's show we welcome veronica romney no relation to Myth. i need to clarify at the offset uh, uh, maiden name iglesias also no relation to enrique or uh, julio so to speak but she is a dream architect by training and um, very involved in helping people realize their best self an area i'm extremely passionate about so we're very excited to have veronica on the show and um, she believes that you can start a business alone, but you can't scale it. And a boy can I relate to that. So I'm really excited to get into that topic. So, moreover, welcome to the show, Veronica.
0: Thank you, sir. I'm super excited to be here. And uh, you and I have a lot in common in our background. So, this is going to be a fun conversation.
1: Yeah, let's let's hope so, certainly. I mean, so I, I've had the good fortune of working for some big multinationals. I started out my career at Dell, having done a post-grad um, in international business and marketing. I then went through the software game, so moved from hardware to software, started my own. I worked at HubSpot, yep. went through their IPO, very fortunate to make, meet some great folks there and learn a ton around marketing. Um, I, I managed to heal the wounds of sales and marketing, understand <laughs> what it's like for those two to actually get on. In fact, we recorded a show a little earlier where we talked around marketing and talked to a great sales leader CRO who, who, who's managed to achieve same as well but um, I suppose for me um, Veronica like just kind of kick it off and tell us a bit about your background what brought you to be where you are today and kind of why you're so passionate about what you do for your chair.
0: Yeah. I, I want to tell you, I mean, the only thing that's common about my background is I haven't really deviated from marketing. It's like the boyfriend I've never left, you know, okay. <laughs> like that's, I graduated in marketing and I've, I went immediately. My first role was at ancestry.com being the email marketing manager. So I've, I've never deviated from marketing, but how I've come to be with marketing has taken different twists and turns. Certainly right. Coming, because I was with ancestry.com when they went from private to public. So I went, I, as a 20 year old deploying millions and millions of emails, and then also being with a company, very significant brand during a very big like public release, you know, that's, that was huge for me in my career. And then I, I got into like the nerdy side of marketing, which was like mm. SEO and PPC and like some, I mean, we're talking about algorithms and we're talking about Panda and Penguin and all these, like we're talking about some nerdy sure. stuff um, and agency life. And then I went into the software game like you did. So I ran mm. a, a marketing department for a property management software company that I think is like evaluated in billions. Like they're going to be the next big unicorn, right? In uh, mm-hmm. Silicon Valley. So uh, it's, yeah. And then like, you know, because you think that you would just be content in doing what you're doing. It's, I wasn't, it's like not to be a Disney movie, but it was like kind of Moana where I felt like the quiet voice still inside me was calling me to the wild in some ways. My parents are entrepreneurs. My parents are both Cuban immigrants who started a company, you know, as soon as they landed and mm-hmm. have had an air conditioning company for 30 years. I'm the oldest. So I, I knew that maybe one day entrepreneurship would be the thing, right? I just, because I, I don't know anything different. And I have this belief that entrepreneurs birth <laughs> other sure. entrepreneurs, um, but it wasn't until I had my son that my husband and I were kind of like, well, we can either center our lives around a job or we can try to center our careers around our family now. I hear you. So that's when the call of entrepreneurship got louder. So then I started my agency. And then that's when I was speaking on stages at marketing conferences to generate leads for my agency where I'm like, oh, I love speaking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then I sold the agency and then I became a Tony Robbins speaker right before COVID, which was insane. Mm. Um, And then I've worked with some big influencer names since, I mean, since that, like, you know, who, you know, and being put in particular rooms or circles or connections. So working behind the brands like a Tony or a Pete Vargas or a Boss Babe and, Here I am today still doing, you know, essentially marketing integration. Like I'm a chief of staff that thinks like an operator, but I've been in the marketing space for so long. So it's like, I'm creative and operational. I'm left brain, right brain. It's a weird cocktail.
1: Yeah, which is a hell of a skill to have because the left brain, right brain combo, Yeah, the folks who have that in sync are the folks who are very balanced and quite frankly, can, can wear both hats. And yeah. um, it's a hell of a gift to have. And I think it is a gift because it's hard to come by. Um, yeah. I'm curious to know, because you mentioned there about a big shift today yeah. in uh, what I've seen is that marketing is actually now for the first time quantifiable. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not about like if you remember the TV show Bewitched, I don't know if you remember Darren the husband was was in marketing back always advertising, really, right? So yeah, you know, correct. billboards Mad old man. school, right? Mm-hmm. Which is wonderful. Mad Men, right? Yeah. So you're mm-hmm. writing checks, you're hoping it works, you know. Some of it works somewhere you can't measure, but that's fine. Let's keep going. Those days are long over oh. and it's the advent of HubSpot. And, you know, you've got RevOps today, which is a big topic that we've covered on the show a few times where mm-hmm. it becomes very quantifiable and very metric driven. Um, and I fundamentally believe that you either sign up for that, you believe in that, you hold yourself accountable to it, yeah. or you hide in the weeds. And and I mm-hmm. saw this at HubSpot, right? I saw this... um where it's a little bit like we have an expression here in Ireland it's like turkeys voting for Christmas right it's, it's, <laughs> or Thanksgiving or whatever your holiday of choice might want to be where you consume turkey right so um it's like oh this is going to show me up for all the stuff I've been wrong for the past few years thanks but no thanks how has your experience gone with that uh, that shift Veronica
0: yeah it's interesting because I I mean I- most of no, all of my day now is really in amongst online entrepreneurs that do not come from corporate America or corporate, period, like at okay. all. Right. So I remember when I, you know, being at an ancestry.com or being at a, you know, a massive organization with thousands of employees, like when you're doing marketing forecasting and road mapping and like data or die, <laughs> like,
1: yeah, sure.
0: justify the employee, justify the campaign post mortem, this, I mean, like. And then and then you walk into the wild wild west of online entrepreneurship, and I say things like post mortem, or I say things like UTM, and I say th- and it's like what? what? Like it's really interesting. It's really really interesting. So I I I haven't been able to bring all of the tools and all of the things that that was a baseline minimum requirement in a corporate environment to do what you do as a marketer, but I have brought a lot of those tools because I do feel like, especially in online entrepreneurship, I feel like sometimes their forecast, their revenue projections are based off feelings (laughs) and mindset and manifestation. (laughs) Like I'm going to manifest a $2 million business. I'm like, wait a minute, how do we manifest a $2 million business or a $6 million business? And that's a lot of the language that I hear in quote unquote CFO meetings. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what this is. So it's, it's been interesting to be on both sides of that marketing lane from different angles.
1: What's your experience of entrepreneurs that make it and those that don't make it. And my experience has been, and I've partnered with folks I've seen, you know, I've worked with some good folks. I've worked with some folks who are good folks, but they're just not built or keyed in or willing to adapt or learn or take it to the next step because as an entrepreneur it's super tempting to just go ahead and create a lovely job for yourself and you know this is fine I'm making an okay income it's respectable living we take care of my family and that's okay and there's nothing wrong with that by the way or you can say I have something here I have a systematizable uh, business that I can scale What to to you is the difference there in in making that happen? Is it a want or is it a um, a mindset thing or what does that look like? What's been your experience?
0: Yeah. I mean, so, so many things going through my head. So, and we're talking about like a founder because I could go off
1: on a whole tangent
0: about business partnerships. We welcome
1: tangents on this show. So (laughs) (laughs) let
0: let's just, let's just put that in a box for right now, but just taking one, one solopreneur who, um, one founder organization, right? Here's what I have found that I think is really interesting and I do I talk about this on the website where it's like it's easy to start because you have a good idea mm. or a good opportunity or a good like honestly sometimes it's timing i think we saw that with covid in particular where there are overnight millionaires people that had crafts for kids people that had home oriented kind of services i i mean i've worked with a woman who has a multi million dollar business teaching women how to make pretty cookies like because in a lockdown, mm-hmm. what is everybody doing? Making sourdough bread and needing desperately for some hobbies, right? In a virtual economy. So yeah. I there's actually a lot of people that have made it. That's not the question to me. Like, do they go from zero to the seven figure mark, right? It's do they go to the seven figure mark and actually can sustain that is where I find to be the like, mm.
1: what,
0: what is it? It's not zero to seven. It's seven to like sustainability at seven. And then multiple seven, and then maybe potentially even eight figures, but that's, that refinement is so brutal. That scaling is so brutal because there's no way in hell you're doing that by yourself. And that's Mm. the hard part. That's the hard part because doing things by yourself is chaotic and insane, but you have control. And if somebody screws up, it's just you then we go to like, well, my cousin's helping me and my husband's helping me and my friend's helping me. And this person doesn't really have marketing experience, but like they they know me and and I trust them. And then outgrowing that group of people is brutal too. So like it's the difference is whether or not you can let go.
1: Yeah, I fully agree. And I spoke to a CRO leader um, only this week who said that she's extremely clear. She always hires folks smarter than her. She's she knows that she gets um. But it's that kind of delineation of trust almost. Mm -hmm. I think that's that kind of stepping outside that brutal friends and family kind of zone. Rough, you know. Yeah, and I'd imagine it's rough. But you've got to make that choice. You've got to Mm -hmm. say, look, I'm willing to uh, make the leap that I don't have it all figured out, and I know Mm -hmm. somebody else is 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 um better than I am, so to speak. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and
0: and but also like when you're working inherently with human beings, things happen. Mm-hmm. So the person, so if you're, if you're putting all of your hope and, and your hail Mary last ditch effort to not feel as burned out as you are on one single person or two people, that's a really bad position to be in in the first place. Right. And I think that tends to happen. Like, well, I'm going to hire an integrator and the integrator is going to help me stay in my visionary and they're going to take care of all the other problems. And it's like, that's, that's not fair to like, that's not possible, right? It's an integrator with a leadership team. Like you need more than just one person to carry the mantle. Right. But what I also notice is if that person is not happy, leaves life, anything, it's the most devastating thing. Sometimes where Mm -hmm. the visionary will then go back into like howard hughes hermit like they go into becoming a recluse again like i can't trust i want to burn it to the ground and it's like so do i think there's a lot of mindset stuff that differentiates yeah clearly we're talking about a lot of internal dialogue and internal parts and internal system that negatively impacts all the external systems which includes other people
1: okay okay that that makes that makes an awful lot of sense and so for you like as you work with folks, um, <laughs> what what's like, what's a kind of a no go? Like, what are some red flags? What's a what's a deal breaker for you? And what, what what do people say when they go? Oh, and you're like, wow, that's that's a clear cut. Someone who's going to be successful.
0: Great, great, great question. Great question. So, um, actually, I was just on a call with my CFO this morning. We were talking about like, what's your deal breakers? You know, and yeah. uh, for her, she has like a no entitlement zone. Like, if she gets the mm-hmm. sense of entitlement from a client, she's like, I'm out. And I'm like, that's a, that's a good one entitlement. I think for me, it's, it happened. I can just tell immediately when I'm like, okay, describe to me the problems of the organization Describe to me what you're struggling with in scaling or with your team. And if I never, ever, ever hear a lot in, in that answer, some kind of finger pointing to self instant red flag.
1: Interesting.
0: Instant red flag. Interesting. It never resolves itself. I can work with a client for three months later. I can work with a client six mountain. It never resolves itself because the go-to is the an external finger, where the answer in all good relationships is it's there's accountability for everybody. If you've read the book Extreme Ownership by like Jocko uh so good, right? But like if you're uh, a Rogan
1: regular, uh, I love his stuff.
0: Yeah, well, but that, that extreme ownership concept to have every person in the organization point the finger at self first and then look to see how we can learn from that as opposed to just like blaming but yeah it's a red flag immediately especially on a console or a discovery call if somebody never takes any level of accountability for sure
1: so i'm going to put this out there and um, i honestly fundamentally believe the world would be a better place <laughs> if human beings and i've said this on shows before right the way back in season one i said this if people looked around and said you know what this problem might be related to me if human beings on mass if there was some sort of spray we could put out into the atmosphere and it would insist they did that and it would switch a a, you know a light switch in their brain or whatever i genuinely think human beings would progress further in the in in human evolution quite frankly i know it's bold to say but are you on board
0: of course I am, and I it just actually makes me think of a of a conversation I had this week with the with a client that. She was, she was feeling pretty low. She's just like, I just feel like I'm not seen. I'm not understood. And I just feel very lonely in my business, which I think if you talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and they say it's lonely at the top, it's very isolating. I think it, like I being, again, my parents being Cuban immigrants and having their own company, like I know what it is. And they have each other, you know, they actually have each other, but for somebody that doesn't even have that, it's, it is very isolating and you can't disclose everything and that you have to hold some things to the chest. And it, it is really a hard position to be in being a leader for sure but I remember there was like a really there's there was this conflict with a team member in particular because the team member was feeling uncomfortable and like she's like well she doesn't understand me and I'm like okay hold on and there was one point in this conversation it's like whose side are you on and I was like ooh mm. and what I said to that and this is really really important to me is in the work that I do as like a dream team architect fractional chief of staff I'm not on anybody's team. So like, think about it from a marriage therapist standpoint. It's like the therapist saying I'm on the wife's side or I'm on the husband's side. When that, if you're a good therapist, that's not coming out of your mouth. What you say is like, my client, isn't the wife. My client isn't the husband. My client is the marriage. That's how I approach my work. My work is I'm not on the visionary side. I'm not on the team side. I'm on the side of the company. And there's going to be times where the company is not being served, which is my client, because the visionary is in their own way, or the team member is also not performing to the best of their abilities and it's impacting the company, but the client is the company, not the person. If visionaries could also have that kind of mindset with their own business, holy crap, revolutionary.
1: Well, it's it's interesting you say that. It's a very very true statement. I've never heard it put in the context of a marriage. But if you look at the way the law is structured, you know, throughout the Western world, the law is structured that if you're a director of a company, you have a fiduciary duty as, and in public companies, this is taken even more seriously, to uphold the best interests of the company, and that means putting the company before yourself. And I know there's mantra around paying yourself first, and that's really sure, not sure. exactly what that means, but. It, that is very, very, very true. Um, and people forget that. And I think they, they look at themselves and go, well, I have to be taken care of. I'm entitled. I think you're dead right uh, to send people packing when they have that sense of entitlement. Yeah. I, I do, you guess... know how,
0: do you know how we ended that conversation? No,
1: for it, tell me. <laughs> we, please.
0: We, this is how it cracked me up. At the end of the conversation, she looked at me and she's like, I think that's something along the lines of, like, is it appropriate if I tell you that I hate you? And I'm like, well, what? And she's like, I hate you because you're right. Uh... And it's uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, just please don't shoot the messenger, because, but that's my role, like that's my job. It's like, yeah. and that's the definition of mental management. It's 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 a really interesting position to be in because you have to be able to take the the voice of the people, and especially if they're not happy, but be able to deliver it to the way to the top where they can hear it and not be so deeply mortally offended, and then vice versa to take the frustrations from the top and not have it crush the morale of the team at the bottom. Like it's a really interesting to position for all of mental management so certainly what I do as a consultant to be in in between
1: um I, that kind of leads in, into my next question um which is like how do you feel personally about telling because telling people they're wrong or telling them they are <laughs> great or you know hey how does that work in your world because I'm, I'm imagining you're doing this each and every day
0: all the time all the time I'm not for the record I'm not a therapist <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not none of those things I've just had a lot of worldly experience sure. that has guided me in, in moments like that and having higher, you know, emotional intelligence and things like that. Mm. Sure. Come to my aid. There's no question. Um, but yeah, there's definitely days where I'm like, wow, that was a heavier conversation or, and I, and I said that, and I've said that to my clients before, like, eventually I will tell you everything that's disclosed to me, but let it be very known very clearly that I will use my gift of discernment to discern when it's a good time or mm. not a good time. And you have to trust me on that. Because if I know that you're supposed to show up on a webinar in front of 10,000 people and pitch, I'm not going to bring some things up, right? I'll wait. I'll pick my timing. Like I, so, and there are certain rules of the engagement that like, I, I will share this. I will be cautious on how I share it, especially if it's related to something sensitive. Mm-hmm. I will choose the time in which I bring it up when I feel like you're ready, as opposed to being a distraction. So like, I, I try to communicate as I can, but it's very known. And they know when they sign up with me too, like, I'm going to say things that, they might that the team's not they're too scared to say but it needs to be said and they know that there's no way that you would engage with me if you didn't know that
1: yeah, you're setting the expectation up front and I think that's Have the to. yeah it's like a sales conversation Sandler sales training talks about upfront contract yes. effectively that's Sandler's. what it that is yeah yeah absolutely well tell me about a turnaround I'm, I'm excited to hear maybe tell me about a time where you got you know, someone you were like, I know I can fix this, or maybe I'm surprised that this guy did, or this girl did what they did. You know, maybe tell me about one you're particularly happy. About. Yeah.
0: I have one, I have one private client right now and we're, I can just tell. And it's always like, it's sad because it's, I, this is my thing as a consultant. I work myself from the inside out. Basically I work myself out of a job. So like, I try to like come in, sit in the seats that are or the the gaps and then basically fill them and work myself out by developing sure. teams behind me and leadership. So I have a client right now, I can just tell like he's graduating, like it's time because when I first started working with the organization, it was essentially two different divisions that weren't even communicating with each other. And yet the services they were rendering was for the same avatar, the same client. I'm like, this is the most inefficient thing I've ever seen in my life, but he couldn't, he didn't understand how to bring the two disciplines together. Cause they were drastically, you talked about it, hardware and software, like how do you mm. merge a hardware and like, right. It's two. in the mind, at least of the, of the visionary, it felt like two very separate, distinct companies. And really it wasn't because you were serving the same person from both sides. Right. So it's now been almost six months and I can genuinely say, I look at the company today. I'm like, it's one company one heartbeat, one big why, and everybody's communicating and the leadership team meetings are like to die for. I'm so excited because they're troubleshooting, they're problem solving, they're having brainstorming sessions together. We're like some, you know, somebody who has nothing to do with marketing is adding value to the marketing personnel and vice versa. Oh, it's just beautiful. So there's lots of success stories all the time.
1: I love that. And um, I, I, I suppose um, one of the things that really strikes me about your bio is how, and you said this at the at the start of the get-go is about public speaking. Um, mm-hmm. And my, I guess my question is, like, I, I've done a bit of it myself, I've dabbled, I'm, I'm not really afraid to do it as such, yeah. but um, it's not something that presents itself all that often. My, my wife is awesome at this, and she yeah. wouldn't have been somebody who would have taken to this. And now she's just a rock star at it, yeah. which I love. But do you think people are born with it? Do you think it came naturally to you? Do you think you can coach folks? Do you help folks to do that? Tell me about that journey.
0: Ooh, good question again. Um, do I think people are natural born charismatic people that like the, the limelight and the spotlight? Yeah, of course. Like, I think mm-hmm. there's lots of extroverts out there that like give them a mic and they're off to their races.
1: Sure. Um,
0: that was not my story though. I, okay. and I wouldn't even categorize myself as an extrovert because as soon as I get off the stage, I like immediately go to my hotel room and then don't go out. So like, sure. so it's, so I can't say that I genuinely thrive off receiving energy from people 24 seven. No, no, no. I deplete myself. However, what I do enjoy about the stage is, is essentially teaching. I love teaching. I, it's, whether it's the Sunday school class with 16 and 17 year olds talking about like gospel stuff that I teach Amazing. on Sundays, or it's uh, MBA students at FAU, or it's, you know, 16 year olds in high school. Like I just like teaching. And so I didn't realize that public speaking was just teaching at a bigger scale. So that's how I look at it. Like I, and I, again, I, I didn't seek it. It was pretty much part of the job requirement. Like, Hey, you're the director of marketing suite products. I need you to speak on behalf of our annual summit. Okay, fine. And that happened in park city. And my mic was cut out the oh. first, like there was no mic. And I was, a, it was packed room. Cause I was the only marketing session. So it was a packed room and I had no mic and I was secretly five months pregnant. Nobody knew. Oh, wow. Okay, and my mic goes out, and I'm looking at the back of the room, and I hadn't had formal training yet, like I didn't know how to handle that, like I do now, having gone through heroic public speaking and having gone through with Pat Quinn and stuff like that. But remember, the mic goes out, and the tech guy's having an issue, and I'm like, yay, nay, and everyone's staring at me. And I got to a point, and this is very much because I'm Cuban. There's no no doubt about it, where I'm like, you know what? F it. So I take <laughs> I take the mic, I put it down. I'm like you guys, I'm Cuban. I'm loud. Can everybody hear me in the back? Cause we're going to get going. I don't want to waste time. And everybody started applauding me. Nice. And it was there, that moment right there. I'm like, Ooh, I like this. (laughs) 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 And then it just got better. And then I, because I'm such a studious person, just by nature, I'm like, like I sit front row kind of person and I started studying the craft of speaking and getting more confident in my abilities because I had more technique as opposed to just like winging it. Right. Um, so yeah, I think, I think you can work on this skill. It is a skill. It is a crack that you can pour into, but you gotta, you have to enjoy teaching and you have to enjoy
1: talking at least. Yeah, no, I hear you there. And I I think there are definitely folks who are born with sort of innate extroversion and so on. But I think to make them world class, they've got to be open to the fact they don't have it all figured out and they are coachable. And if you look at any of the clients we work with, every single one of them has a number one criteria of coachability in their mantra. 100%. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, So tell me what it's like working behind the scenes with Tony Robbins. (laughs)
0: Well, remember I worked, so Tony is a is a massive brand and there's lots and lots of little divisions and offers and things like that. So I'm not, I wasn't part of the crew of the Fiji crew, for example, like I was very much behind the scenes of Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi's collaboration, their particular partnership, oh, okay.
1: yeah, yeah.
0: right? So um, it was basically, I was one of their students. I like took part of their course and their big launch, and then they opened a casting call for speakers. And so I'm like, well, sure. So I submitted, and I think it was like 650 applicants. And then the final 20 went to Arizona, which was like, it very much felt like the hunger games. I'm not going to lie. It okay. Was wow. Super intense. And then I made it to the top five, top six. And that was December, 2019. So I walked into 2020 like and then, and then we got trained and we went to Milwaukee with Pat Quinn and he trained us and it was, I mean, it was amazing. And then of course, March, 2020, we all know what mm-hmm. happens. Right. Yep, yep. Um, but then they converted all of the, the speakers into uh workshop trainers So then I was doing all the virtual workshop trainings for that program as well for months and months and months. So um, I will say this okay. without disclosing anything that I'm not allowed to, of course. Um, you would think that the big, big, big names are more organized and they have their s- stuff together and it's it's nearly not no way it's, it's nearly as chaotic as the poor you know six-figure business owner seven-figure but oh no it is exactly the same it is just as chaotic and messy as you're like really oh yes really
1: wow <laughs> like,
0: building the plane as they're flying it oh yeah
1: wow taking it oh, yeah. together and okay right okay interesting interesting so I guess if, if we were to, you know, if, if if you were to start to work with somebody, how do you begin the process of working with somebody? Like, what do you, yeah, exactly. So you kind of, um, what, what I like about what you do in your industry is I like to see people get to the kind of Dr. Evil stage, which is very, <laughs> you know what I mean, right? You've got the levers, you're pulling it, you yeah. know, different, you're the master puppeteer, right? So yeah. how do you, where do you start working with folks and how do you get them to different levels?
0: yeah okay so um great question like, yeah you, you ask great questions I'm sure oh, you've been awesome. told that before well because here's the thing too and I I know the joke is that every every business owner thinks that their company is a special snowflake mm-hmm. and the truth mm-hmm. is yeah <laughs> everybody Thinks to the business is uniquely different because it's their DNA, you know. Um, so what I do, and I and I mean this, this isn't like BS. Like I really just try to meet clients where they are. So some clients, for example, won't have any marketing leadership. That's going to be a very different starting point than a company that has top marketers that don't that need to be developed into leaders. Other clients will have you know, some form of leadership. Like I have a client right now who's multimillion dollars and it's basically just them and a whole bunch of doers. So like the first three months of work is just literally putting in mid-tier leaders. Like I just had mm-hmm. to put in like managers. They don't even have managers. Another client had managers, but it was, a frac- it was a fractured business where it was two separate entities. So I had to bring the managers together to speak the same language. So again, every business is different. But the very first thing that I do normally, especially if it's a fractional chief of staff uh, client, part of my engagement is that we are on-site together with the team. Mm -hmm. Not everybody on the team, but certainly the leadership team or people they've identified that they would desire for them to be leaders. And we have an on-site, usually a day, day and a half, Mm -hmm. where we basically like, I I liken it to your company, everything's in the hallway closet. We're going to open the hallway closet and we're going to take everything out. So we go through audience building, we go through content, we go through marketing launches, we go through operational, like the production side of the product. We talk about the policies, the asset, like, what am I working with? Because one of my strength finders is input. So I can receive a lot of information and very quickly assess what needs to be done. And then we put together a whole roadmap of like, what am I, what is I like Veronica? What am I working on? October. What am I working on November? What am I working on December? And usually it's a cocktail of marketing and operations. So like we'll do November is marketing month because it's Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Sure. And then December is team building month. So, but we decide that together, me and the client based off where they are and where the business is.
1: So you, you mentioned there, and that was very interesting where you said um, you come across million dollar plus businesses, which is yeah. full of doers. Yeah. Yeah. What does that look like? Am I mean, so like, <laughs> here's my assessment of that. It's okay, yeah. like What's a, guy, your guess? a great idea. A guy had a vision that he said, look, okay, I, I can't do everything myself. I'm going to get Bill over here. And then I have Mary over there and they yeah. have responsibilities and they come back to me once a month or whatever and tell me that their piece of the pie is performing yeah. and everyone's fine. Is that roughly what it looks like? It's just kind of somewhat herding cats. It's organized chaos and, and that sort of thing. Have you
0: ever seen bumper carts? Sure. That's what it looks like.
1: <laughs> okay. Got it. Makes sense. Do, do. Like yeah.
0: Everybody's just bumping They're, Cause there's no lines. It's like, it's a highway with no lines. They're literally a highway where everybody's going 70 to 95 miles an hour in mm. Ferraris and no, there's no lines and there's no rules and there's no stoplights and th- like, think about it that way. That's mm. what it is. That's exactly how fast they go and how dangerous the collisions
1: are what sort of collisions do you see and how freeing is it? When you uh, three
0: team members doing the same task.
1: Okay. <laughs> like,
0: I mean, just crazy stuff or, or, you know, one person's given the assignment or thinks that they're in a position of authority. And then the other, the actual, like maybe the CEO or the president will undermine them by going around them to the, immediately to the doer underneath them. And they didn't, they had no idea that happened. I mean, just so much poor communication and lack of delineation. Who's doing what? Who's QAing that person? Oh, that's another uh, thing that I see a lot. Doers expected to QA and self-manage their own deadlines, which if you've ever worked with a creative is like a big no-no. Like Mm. doers don't set deadlines and doers with fatigued eyes should not be responsible to QA their own work.
1: Yeah, and that comes back to the accountability point as well.
0: 100%, yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I think that, you know, for me, if I could give any tidbit of wisdom here, it would be around... Um, always fight your inner voice to do it yourself yeah always suspend that and go no I don't need to be doing this um I can offload this to somebody else like I have an assistant in my business who quite frankly is just off the charts amazing and she often comes to me and goes Ross have you had the chat with yourself <laughs> <Have> you <laughs> you know you know that's not a, a thing that we should we've talked about this you awesome. know i'm like okay you're so right i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry i think if you can fight your inner internal dialogue fight your natural instincts you'll be fine you know um, my cro and i joke about you know when we say i'm just going to be myself and our wives turn around and go don't do that yeah don't do that and and it's so true it's so right um and then if you can be accountable to others and then they can qa then you have accountability, you've momentum, you've a scalable system, it's externalities of um, KPIs and, and such as well. And then
0: all the other good stuff there, that everybody everybody knocks corporate, but I'm like, actually, there's some really good things about the corporate environment that we, you can, that we can take to the wild, wild west of online entrepreneurship. You know? And I
1: would argue the folks who've spent time in the corporate environment who come back to work for themselves, yeah. have structure around that. I can yeah. see that I've worked with folks who didn't have that background and I can see in a heartbeat, they don't have structure. Yes. You know, and look, there's, there's people who are entrepreneurs who never had it, who are creative and it's fine, but they've got to be open to the structure. That's what I would argue.
0: Yeah. And that's what, again, back to mindset, like how open are you to be being told that there's another way of doing things in what, <laughs> what that you're currently doing or that you think is the best solution? Like, and, and I, you said it earlier in, in the course of this you know, recording that like, there are some people that that are okay with hiring people that are smarter than them i think that's a really beautiful like mm. thing to say or they'll also say things like i don't want to be the person with all the answers and i don't want to be surrounded by yes people however unfortunately i see the complete opposite of that where if people are not complacent or compliant then the business owner becomes paranoid that nobody sees them and hears them and it increases paranoia. So it's like, I don't want to be surrounded by yes people, but I, it, I will have such a vicious reaction. If you don't agree with me publicly, it's really intense. <laughs> right. So again, it goes back to some mindset stuff. And, and I'm not a therapist by any means, but there's a reason that the the business world is so deeply entrenched in mindset in mindset, because you are the, you are the problem in your business. Like it it is just a fact, you know?
1: Agree more. I couldn't agree more. Well, with all of that in mind, and as we kind of round the corner here and wrap things up, walk us through your superpower.
0: Ooh. Okay. So, honestly, this has been even my own journey. And we're talking about mindset, even my own evolution as a human being. Because again, I started off in marketing. I started off as a marketing doer and I can do very quickly, right? Like, I'm a high, high execution, overachieving person, like just by nature from birth, kind of human, right? So, I thought for so long that my Peak, my zone of genius is marketing, doing marketing, 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 marketing. And it really wasn't until I was in leadership myself and that I was managing other people and working with other managers where I was like, wait, I think, huh, not every manager knows how to do this or doesn't treat their team like dirt, huh? Like, mm. and it really, the dream team architect, I know that seems like clever, like, oh, that, you, you appoint that to yourself. That was actually given to me by my employee. So an employee at Boss Bay, Okay. Um, cause people call me different things. They'll call me the goodwill hunting of organizations. They'll, I mean, they, I've, I've heard different things and somebody had called me a master team architect and she, with her name's Ash, she looked at me and she's like, you're no, you're not a master team architect. You're a dream team architect because I was the recipient of what you did for us on the dream team that we were on. Wow. Uh, and it like, I know it makes you kind of emotionally even saying that out loud. So like I didn't realize that my real zone of genius isn't so much marketing, even though that's my excellence and proficiency, my zone of genius is working with marketing centric teams and getting more than just myself to execute at the highest level possible. That's what I'm the best at.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, look, Veronica, I can't thank you enough for the pleasure of your company during today's uh, discussion. It's been innately valuable for myself and no doubt for our listeners as well. I'd certainly welcome you back on the show at any time of your convenience. So thank you so much for the conversation today.
0: Thank you. You've been listening to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, designed for both established and aspiring career-focused tech rock stars, as well as helping leadership figure out how to speak global in today's multicultural world. For further details, check out sf-talent.com.